This is Made Hot on Mike, the podcast where we discuss sexual wellness, mental health, relationships and self-love. And we also talk about a bunch of other topics that actually has nothing to do with the actual topics in the podcast. But that's how we roll. That's how we roll. <laughs> so we encourage you to get on your self-care journey with us. Enjoy. Welcome back to Made Hot on Mike. Husky voice today. Yeah, I know. I like wanted to mention <laughs> that because I still have my husky voice. I didn't mention that in the last husky episode. Voice. So just for the record, I have not been drinking whiskey. It's just a cold that's like on my, what do you call them? These things that you have the voice with, whatever, you know what I mean. Well, throat, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so that is the reason, people. Okay. So don't judge me here. No, you sound sexy. I like it. You know what I should do? Like, maybe, I don't know how how long I'm going to have this voice for, but at this time, I should be recording the Noop Face erotic short stories. Yeah, you should. With this voice. Yeah. But, yeah, I just have to get a hold of him, so I'll get one, and I can record it. And then we'll put it on the website. Let's do it. Super duper idea. Let's do it. I'll I'll, I'll just talk with my voice and see how long it's going to be like this for, and then I'll talk to him. You do that. Super duper. You do man. you. Yeah, I do me. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways. Anyways. Back that was just studio. sidetracking as usual, as we do in this yeah, podcast. Yeah, as we usually do. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we have Miss Reina Martin back with us in the studio. The amazing Reina Martin. I love her pink hair. Yeah, I love it too. <laughs> I want to have pink hair. That's yes, her. they can't see it through the po- through the podcast though. Can they, they can see it on your Instagram. <laughs> but you can imagine it. <laughs> Fluffy. Pinkish. Lovely. And, you know, speaking of husky voices, I I have to say, I think I'm going to win today for having the, the raspiest, huskiest <laughs> voice because that's just, and, and that's just the voice I was born with. No whiskey needed on this end. <laughs> well, but that's great. And everybody's going to think like that you're like super sexy and hot. So everybody's going to listen to the podcast. That's and just, she has pink hair. Yeah, They're like, oh my God, I have to check this out. Who yeah. is right now? <laughs> Who is this woman? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Raina's partner, look out. <laughs> Step aside. <laughs> Step aside, please. Oh, no. Yes. He's like, if, 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 what's if you ladies going only. On? <laughs> If you ladies only saw what what shows up in my DMs on Instagram, as you can imagine, being <gasps> um, in the sex and intimacy space, but it's Ooh, okay. It, it's it's part of the job. It's an occupational hazard, but um, there's a lot of blocking that goes on. <laughs> can you tell us one? Um, you know, there's a there's a certain category of DMs that I get, and I almost feel like they follow this script because they always start with "Hello, ma'am." Oh, like, and that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, ma'am. Um, I need you to help me with a problem. 
Oh. And, uh, you know, I, I don't work individually with men or rather I don't broadcast that I work individually with men for this reason. And usually the problem is something like, I want to have sex with my mother and I think she wants to have sex with me Ooh. and or something outrageous like that. But, oh you know, God. normally I know that this isn't real, but that they're trying to engage me in something yeah. to activate their sexual imagination. And yeah. I'm not here for that. There are people you can pay for that, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> so, um, yes, I've seen the gamut though. I've seen the gamut. <laughs> we get it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But we could have a full on conversation about that. Yeah, that's another podcast that's episode. That's another <laughs> podcast episode. Yeah. Today we're discussing something else. Yes, we are. I'm thinking going back to what Reina said in her intro episode. You were talking about uh, that when you started with coaching, you noticed that there was a huge demand for your topic, which is intimacy and and sex and for women. And um, you yourself mentioned that you wanted women to have an easier and shorter road uh, than you had yourself in your life and not having so much shame around it and that it took so long to kind of like get answers to all your questions So I just wanted to like touch back to that and ask you um, around... Why the long road? Why, why the, the hard road? Yeah, the hard road. Hard, hard, I don't, what? I don't, what? What was that? I don't know. The hard road. The hard road. <laughs> you cannot say I, that I word. The long I and say hard that. road. <laughs> yeah, that Reina helped you out Okay, here. I'm, I'm going to stop talking. Okay, so English is not her first language. Excuse no. her. Uh, excuse me, yeah. No, it's fine. I mean, it's it's only appropriate that we're talking about long and hard things, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's. I mean, it's a great question because, um, and it's it's a great question. Uh, it's not such a short answer, but I'm willing to to take you along the the journey that I went on. So we would love to hear it. Yeah. I never had a problem um, finding a boyfriend or a partner. That was never the problem because I kind of knew how to play all the games, which I now know are games. But back then, you know, when I was younger, I just assumed it was my natural charm. Mm. But what would happen is I would end up in these long-term relationships, some were marriages, and a few years in, I would start to become very restless and bored and my my mind and my eye would start wandering um the sex would really just plummet and and my libido would plummet and i would wonder you know what's wrong with me and why can't i fix this and uh it was in a relationship i was in in um 2011 so a little over 10 years ago with a really sweet kind, wonderful person. And he was about to propose to me. Mm. And something in me said, you, you can't do this. Like, and, and I had to investigate what that was, but I just, I, I had to follow my heart there and, um, and end the relationship and try to get to the bottom of what was going on with me. And so I um I did and I hurt him a lot. 
And that was devastating for me because he was somebody who did not deserve that. And I didn't want to keep doing that to people. So I went, I told him I was, that I was moving out, that, that the relationship, um, that I was ending the relationship. And, uh, for the time being, I went and stayed with a friend of mine and she had a roommate and, um, I was talking to him about my, my breakup and, you know, I just don't think I'm wired to be with just one person. I don't know what's wrong. And he said, well, you know, there's, there's a name for that. And I had no idea what he was talking about. He blew my mind wide open talking to me about polyamory and ethical non-monogamy. And I thought, oh my gosh, wait, there's a way that you can do this? And and so I started doing it. And it was, um, I felt really alive. I felt free. I felt like I had found my groove really. Unfortunately, what happened around the same time is I started getting sick. And what I now can see that that I was becoming sick. I didn't understand it at the time, but I I wasn't sleeping much. I was staying up all night writing what I thought was going to be this great Nobel Peace Prize winning book <laughs> about freedom and sexuality and all these things. But really, I was suffering from delusions of grandeur and I was in the throes in the in the midst of um a manic episode. Oh, and you had no idea. I I I had no idea. Um I it all made sense to me because I had no history of bipolar disorder. Um it, and and normally my understanding is that for those who do have bipolar disorder, it tends to hit you earlier in life. And this was when I was 29, so right before my 30th birthday. And um, I just thought, wow, this is the new and improved Rena, And she's so creative and she's wild and she lives her life this way. But it started setting off alarm bells to my family, to my friends. Um, and it was, the timing was unfortunate because part of me genuinely wanted to speak very openly about sex, about unconventional relationships, but because it was being done in a manic state, it wasn't sinking in with people. So my family, they were concerned. And um, my brother, who's an officer with LAPD said, hey, here's the deal. We're worried about you. Would you be willing to go get checked out at a psychiatric hospital? And if they say you're fine, um, then, then fine. We'll, we'll leave you alone. We'll let you live your life. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go do that. I was a lawyer at the time. I knew that it's not illegal to be mentally ill. It's not illegal to be crazy. They can't hold you, um, against your will just because you're suffering from mental illness. You have to be a danger to yourself, which I was not, or you have to be a danger to others or, you have to be what's called gravely disabled, meaning that you can't provide for yourself. You can't house yourself, feed yourself, that type of thing. So yes, I drove myself to a hospital to get myself checked out so that I could put everyone's mind at ease. And um, during that intake, 
the psychiatrist asked me some standard questions about my profession, drug use, um, whether I had any thoughts of harming myself, which I did not. And then he asked me um, what my relationship status was, you know, divorced, single, married, et cetera, et cetera, widowed. And I said to him, there's, there's no box for me on your form. And he asked me to articulate and I said, I, I don't believe that um, I need to love more than one person or identify myself in that way. And I think most people could love more than one person if they didn't have these beliefs that have been ingrained into us about monogamy. Mm. And um, so he then went and said, okay, I'll, I'll be right back. You just wait here. And when he returned, he told me that they were going to hold me. What? Right. I, I couldn't understand why. I, I, I literally thought this was a joke, um, that maybe they were shooting a movie about me because at yeah. the time, you know, I, I, I was in my manic episode, like, this has to be some sort of joke. Yeah, and you were so sure that they could not hold you because you knew the rules before right. you went in. So yeah. you were like, right. super. Su you were feeling super secure going in there, right? Right. I thought I was gonna. I mean, I think this was on Halloween, and I had plans that night. I was like, I'll just you know pop oh in the God. hospital and go out and go to my Halloween party. Um, Crazy. Uh, yes. Yes. No <laughs> pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the the legal reason. So on paper. Um, the legal reason they held me was under that gravely disabled category because little did I know that my brother had come to the hospital too. I didn't know that at that point. And he'd had a word with the doctor and said, you know, my, my sister is, um, she's a respected DA. She's a lawyer. She needs help and she's going to destroy her career and her life if we don't intervene here. And he told the doctor that I had lost 20 pounds, I don't know how much that is in kilos, but 20 pounds in two weeks. What? And which had you? was not true because, <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> if I, As somebody who has struggled, you know, I used to struggle with my weight and that was a big thing. If there was a way to lose 20 pounds in two weeks, I would have figured it out. <laughs> but um, no. And my brother hadn't even seen me in person in about a month, but that was the magic words that they needed to put on the paper to justify holding me. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's bad. Right, right. And and when I later looked back on my hospital records, because you best believe that I requested them. that Of course. <laughs> it said on there that during my intake, me saying that I believed people could love more than one person and that that's how I identified, they labeled that as hypersexual, which hypersexual. is a symptom of bipolar disorder. Yeah. That sounds like something you would say, I don't know, in the 50s, 60s. <laughs> sounds like a bad right? movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like something, I don't know, it just doesn't sound like our age, like our time even. Yeah. Like what's going on? I mean, you had to be like, were you in shock? Were you like panic? Like, or were you like, because you were in this manic state, like did you even like... How did you react to all of this? How did you handle it? Yeah. Well, so it wasn't until after I was out of the hospital that I understood that that was um, really the main red flag to them about me being bipolar was that um, I had said to him that I could love more than one person. And so the doctor 
assumed, okay, that means she wants to have sex with multiple people. But that that's means not what she you must said. be hypersexual. Yeah. No, no. He just. Like, it's not what I said. No, it's not at all what you said. I mean, to love no, so, more than one person is not having sex with multiple people. That's a completely exactly. two different thing, things. Exactly. Yeah, but like, how long were you hospitalized? How long did they, did, did they keep you there? They kept me for four days and they first put me in an eating disorder ward. And I thought, you know, eating is not my problem. So I ate. <laughs> I ate. I mean, I love to I'm eat. So, so. I'm sorry that I'm laughing, but it's like, it's like, it's, no, it's like just a crazy. comical in yeah. the situation. And yeah, in, in that situation, it's like crazy. Like you don't even have an issue with that. And that's what they try to do. It's just been said. Pin on you. Yeah. Right. Around, and I'm, I was in a ward around um, people who were almost catatonic and people who looked skeletal. And within a day, they moved me out of that ward to a different ward, which should be, you know, red flag number one, that they didn't hold me for the right reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it was a nightmare because throughout the day, I would continuously ask the staff, you know, when can I go home? And they said, well, when you're better. And no one would give me an answer as far as what better meant. I mean, I would be crying on the hospital payphone, calling up my lawyer friends, just begging them to help me because I knew this wasn't legal. Yeah. But everyone really felt like they had my best interests in mind. Like, Rena's just going to get better. But that was not getting you better. No. And, and interestingly enough, the medication they put me on in there did not help me in any way, shape or form. And like most psychotropic medications, you have to try out different things. And they had me on one thing the whole time and I was taking it the whole time. It did not impact my mania at all. When I was released from the hospital, I was more sick than I had been going in and I was more paranoid mm. because... That had been the worst trauma I ever suffered, which was being trapped in a place where no one could give me answers and no one would tell me how long they were going to keep me there. It felt like a Kafka novel. Yeah. And and so it was on the fourth day when I said, okay, I know I have my right to a hearing in front of a judge today and I would like to exercise that right that they miraculously let me go home. Thank God. So that's where I spent my 30th birthday. And I never got my chance to speak to a judge. The doctor said, oh, okay, well, happy birthday. We're going to let you go home, Rena. <laughs> really? <laughs> right. So with all this, all this trauma, all this whole situation. Right. Happy birthday no, and bye. Yeah, no explanation, nothing. And then just, oh, bye. I'm just like, I'm just so alone, shock. so lost, so shocked, so like, afraid, afraid of like, everything at the same time. What did you do after they after they let let you go? After they let me go, I went and I started staying with my parents. But everyone assumed, okay, Rena's out of the hospital, she must be better now. And I wasn't. <laughs> I was still very sick and, and and I was worse and I was very paranoid because I didn't trust anyone now. Yeah, because of if the people who were supposed to love me and take care of me were instrumental in me being held against my will and held illegally, I mean, let's just say it, yeah. then how could I trust anyone at that point? Of course. So I really isolated myself from people close to me and was extremely paranoid. 
I had wrecked a lot of relationships during that time because I could not trust people. And a few months after I was released from the hospital, I found a different psychiatrist who put said, let's try these different, some different meds. And within a few days, those started working. And I've been on, on that medication ever since. Mm. And so, so then once I was stable, it was like, oh God, I need to rebuild my life. I had taken medical leave from the DA's office. I was going to daily outpatient um, mental health group work. So I basically five days a week, I was amongst other people a few other lawyers, some professors, um, a well-known comedian, even a doctor. I mean, other people who'd had a mental break that had really disrupted their lives. And so they created this structured program Mm -hmm. for us to go to five days a week. Um, It was like group therapy just to get you back on your feet so that you could re-enter into your life. So I did that. That was my job basically for a few months. And then I went back to the DA's office, but then I I really, um, I felt so ostracized by the people I loved and my friends. And it's, some of those relationships were never salvaged. Uh, Most of them I was able to rebuild, but it became apparent to me that everyone associated me wanting to love more than one person with me being sick. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to have my my life and my friends and my family back, I couldn't keep talking about things like that. Okay. But did did anyone did anyone ask you about that? What what like what that meant to you? Or did they just like disregard it? No, it was easier for everyone to sweep that under the rug. Yeah, of course, of course. And for so us nobody to not actually, talk about it. Yeah, ask the question, what do you mean with ethical non- monogamy right now? Like, what is it for you? What does it mean for you? What does it stand for? Not at that time, they did not. I mean, I did have a therapist um, before I got sick who actually said to me, well, this is all well and good for you now that you're young, but wait until you're my age. It's going to be a lot harder to find more than one person. I mean did not receive open support when it came to this. Yeah. So it was um, it was it was too shocking, yeah. too too big, too much for people, too much to take in. It it was I think people will put in their own narratives and yeah. and their lens is different than mine. I mean, I still have people today who will say Oh, I could never do that, you know, with this yeah. <laughs> this mm. kind of judgment. It's like, cool, that's fine. You don't have to do it. Um, do what works for you. And it's immediate, that kind of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's getting better. I mean, the world today is different than it was 10 years ago. Yes, it is. But at that time, a, a friend of mine convinced me, all right, Rena, why don't you get on one of the dating apps? So I did, and it was one of the mainstream apps. Which one? Which one? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> this is remember, this was ten years ago. So this was uh, OK Cupid. Oh, oh, that one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this was before Tinder was out. It was after Match, after eHarmony, but this was kind of like the biggest one um, for people time. in my age demographic. Yeah, at that time. At that time, um, yeah. and I went out with thirty different men on thirty different first dates. And I asked every single one, what are your views on monogamy? And not a single person said that they would be open to anything other than monogamy. Hmm. So 
with that kind of data, that sent to me a very clear message that you can't find your people, essentially. Like, not only do your friends not want to hear about this, but you're not really going to be able to to meet someone who's on board with this. So... I kind of decided, well, if I if I can't beat them, I have to join them. And I ended up marrying number 30. Mm-hmm. And it was it was the same thing all over again as I described, which is yeah. you know, you meet each other, you move in together, you fall in love, you get married, and then Rena gets very um dissatisfied and Board. And um, so I... So you just like history repeated itself with you. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I I found um, a, an amazing therapist and I've been to a lot. And now I realize that not all therapists are amazing. I'm so lucky that I found her. That is true. And I went into her saying, you know, I, I need you to fix me. I need you to fix me. There must be something so wrong with me that, uh, you know, maybe I can't be with one person. And the reason I get bored is because I consider myself to be unlovable and I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have someone like me as a member kind of thing. Yeah. What did she say to you when you said that? Well, at the beginning, you know, she's not going to say, Rena, you're not broken. There's nothing to be fixed because that might have been like, okay, well, I'm coming to the wrong place. Mm. So instead of telling me, she showed me through really understanding um, a lot of experiences that happened to me as a child that I now understand to be emotional neglect. Mm understanding how my history of sexual trauma impacted who I am as an adult, but also really understanding how my trauma of being hospitalized reinforced this idea that there was something broken and wrong with me. And um, by the end of our time working together, she, she one night during a session said, Rena, there's a scream buried deep inside of you and it is dying to get out. That one, that one is just... Yeah. Shivers down my spine. Just say it again. Rena, there is a scream buried deep inside of you and it's dying to be let out. Like seriously, like let that sink in. Yeah. I saved that one. You had that one on your stories. I saved that one because that one just made me just feel everything when I read that one for me. Yeah. And I mean, and I think we talked about this in the last episode that sometimes all it takes is one question or one person saying something. And I almost want to get that tattooed on me somewhere because that was what made me realize, right? You should. Maybe I should get that tattooed. It's so good. (laughs) Maybe maybe we should all get that tattooed. No, we should do merch with that one (laughs) on a sweatshirt. Oh, I would love to have that one on. Just walking around. Yeah, stay tuned. Stay tuned, Stay tuned, yeah, for merch. (laughs) <laughs> but going back to that. Yeah, so I and and I'm I'm kind of I'm fast forwarding quite a bit here because 
there were so many tears shed. I had gone to couples therapy with my husband. We had gone to a couples retreat using Imago therapy technique. I mean, I tried. I tried a lot, and um, but our relationship had become very platonic. It was like I was sharing a bed with my brother or something, mm. and I knew that there was more for me out there, and, and she was right. There was a scream buried inside of me, and um, I asked, I asked for a divorce the next morning after our session, and since then, I've experienced a kind of freedom that I I never knew was possible. I started traveling on my own. I truly fell in love with myself. I never really understood what self-love meant, but it is to to fall in love with yourself. It isn't something you do. It isn't going for a massage or it's it's a way you feel and I knew that I didn't need a partner. I didn't need a primary partner that I was going to be just fine. That even if I ended up alone, my primary partnership was going to be with me. And um of course, the universe doesn't always align with what it is it, you know, you think you're doing. And so I like to say that the universe, like the, the, the heavens opened and this man dropped out of the sky and landed in my lap. Or more specifically, he landed uh, at a dive bar in a small mountain town a few hours outside of LA. And uh, we met there just organically out in the wild. And it turned out we lived about a mile from each other back here in Los Angeles. And it turned out that he was exactly like me and had not practiced conventional monogamy for about, I don't know, a decade, that he was already doing this. Um, And so we, and at the time I, I was seeing a few other people, they all understood that I was not looking for a primary partner. Everyone was on board. And, um, over the course of many, many months, he and I developed something really special. I was able to finally understand what my BDSM fantasies meant and and having the kind of sex life that I'm excited about, the kind of sex that you crave. Because I always say you can't crave sex if it's not the kind of sex that's worth craving. But I had never been given permission to explore that and see what that look like. Without shame, right? Exactly. Exactly. And so now, you know, fast forward to today, we've been together about three and a half years and we don't live together. We live peacefully and happily around the corner from one another. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. We are in a primary relationship and we are in an ethically non-monogamous relationship that works really beautifully for us. Even though I am partnered, I still feel the most free that I've ever felt. And that to me is is true love and and sexual expression and curiosity and all of the things wrapped into one. It's a type of intimacy that I thought was reserved for cheesy movies, but I can tell you it's real. Yeah. But I wouldn't have gotten to the place I'm at now um, had I not put in the work. And, and he's he's put in a lot of work too. He had before we met. 
but we're always constantly trying to be better for one another, um, cheerlead each other, and just be better in pursuing our own dreams individually. Yeah. So that's that's my fairy tale right there. <laughs> I love it. I love this I am story. mesmerized. Yes. Yeah, I love it. I love it. But Reina, for those that like don't understand, could you explain what is the ethical non-monogamy? Like if you do it like yeah. step by step. So like, yeah, but I can love like not only one person, but is it like more to it? Or when you say yeah, that you have a primary partner, like do you have other partners? How does it work? And like for people that don't understand it, Yeah, the concept. Right. If you would, if you would want to, like, sure, do a little short explanation for all all of us that are like beginners or new to this. Absolutely. Okay, I'll pretend like you know nothing. Okay. Yes. Yeah, we know Let's nothing. pretend we know nothing. Okay. Um, so we know what monogamy is. I, I yes. assume everyone knows what monogamy is. Um, yes. So let's talk about what unethical non-monogamy is. That's cheating, okay? And the stats here in the U.S., that's, yeah, unethical non-monogamy is cheating. And the statistics here in the U.S. show that 60% of men and 50% of women are cheating on their spouses or will cheat or have cheated. That's a lot. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. High statistics. So there's already a lot of non-monogamy happening, but it's just not being done. (laughs) It's not being done. Um, It's not out in the open. So think of non-ethical non-monogamy as this big umbrella, and under that umbrella, we have different labels or categories. So one would be polyamory, which means many loves. That's what the word means. That you have relationships that are happening at the same time. So maybe you have a husband, but you also have a boyfriend and a girlfriend, and maybe Mm. they have other partners too. And there are different ways of having that. So there's hierarchical polyamory, which would be, okay, we have one primary relationship and then everything else is secondary under that. Or non-hierarchical, where everyone's kind of even, um, even playing field, but really within the polyamorous community, there is um, an emphasis on transparency, mm. knowing about each other's partners. Everyone's talking about it. Some people even spend time with, the, everyone gets together. It's called kitchen table poly. So all the partners get together and have, you know, dinner on a Sunday night. So kitchen there are different ways of poly. doing that. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. yeah. <laughs> Some people raise children together. You know, they have extended what, what we call polycules. So kind of creating an extended family within your partners. So that's one way of doing it. And um, another way of doing it is, uh, this is a term that was coined by Dan Savage, which is monogamish. So as far as the outside world can tell, you're monogamous. You two look like a monogamous couple. But hey, if one of you goes on a business trip or you're at a bachelor bachelorette party and something happens it's not going to be considered cheating, Mm. right? Um, That we have some flexibility there. But then you can design that however you want. You can say, all right, I don't want you hooking up with anyone in the same uh, county that we live in. Or I don't want you having, you know, if you meet someone 
and it's a one-time thing, great, but I don't want you to have an extended relationship, something that would be an affair if it were done unethically. And some people want to know, some people don't want to know. Hmm. So a don't ask, don't tell policy. It's up to you. You don't have to be transparent. It's just however you and your partner want to negotiate that is is what works for you. And then yet another way to do this um, would be swinging. So swinging typically means we play together, whether that be with one other person, another couple, a whole group of people. So that's another kind of um, of ethical non-monogamy. Of the umbrella. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And I, I don't identify as, um, as polyamorous. I do identify as ethically non-monogamous because what that means within my relationship, it's ever-evolving and changing because you have to communicate about this stuff all the time. So, yeah. of course, when the pandemic hit, we had to have a conversation about, okay, what what are we going to do, if anything, outside of our relationship? What's that going to look like? And then once the world started opening back up, we had to have those conversations again. And so I hesitate to to give you the ins and outs of what our arrangement is today because that could be different a few weeks from now. Yeah, yeah, but course. we are constantly, you know, talking through it and trying to make sure that each other's needs are met where we're not micromanaging the other person because we both really value our freedom and our independence. I love that. Right. And and that's that's part of why why our understanding and how we do ethic, ethical non-monogamy together uh, really works for us. Yeah. So did that like, answer you your find, questions? Do you yes, feel like it does. It does. It does. <laughs> Cuz I'm I'm pretty sure people are like, mm, but what is it exactly? What do you yeah. mean with a primary partner? What do you mean with this? What do you mean with that? But, but from what I'm hearing, it's very different depending on like what you actually feel and what you actually want. Your wants and where your needs. Where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah, where you're coming from. And then you have to find the right partner to do that with. And right. everything is up for discussion yeah. and every relationship is different yeah. even if they're doing the same thing, so to speak. But uh, well, it's, communication it's, is key. Exactly. And, and it's like an ongoing conversation that is changing. Yeah. And you're changing with it. Did we get it? <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. And and the thing is, like, I don't like rules, for example. Yeah. Neither does he. And yeah. so that's why um, polyamory for me um, is hard because mm. not only are you having to negotiate kind of rules with one person, you're, you're having to negotiate it all over the place. Yeah. And so the, the, the reality is this, there's no one right way to do this and you can make your own rules. And so I hear a lot of people saying, well, I could never do polyamory because that, 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 well, no, that's just one way of doing it. And there are so many different ways you can do this and you can make this look like whatever you want to. So I encourage people, okay, if you could design your perfect setup in a relationship, what would it look like? And very good question. Mm-hmm. Right. But, and not what society says, but if you could wave the magic wand and have whatever you wanted, what would that look like? Um, and taking, assuming you would never get jealous kind of thing. Because yeah. a lot of people, they they hide behind that. Well, it'd be too hard because I would get jealous. Assuming that wasn't an option. And maybe the answer is, no, I just want monogamy. And that's absolutely fine. But it's yeah. giving you permission to to imagine 
and figure out like, okay, how could I design that for myself? Such a good question. I think also that if people would start having these conversations more or even just start to be open to having them, I think they will realize a lot of things about themselves, about the relationship. Uh, Maybe things have to change or maybe they need to adjust things or maybe they need to adjust themselves. Because if you never start talking about this, you never know. And then you kind of like just think about it in your own head and then maybe you just kind of get like discouraged or angry with your partner or you're not you're not even content you don't see eye to eye yeah you get stuck yeah yeah and then just all this other stuff is happening but maybe what is needed is just having more of these open conversations and not judging just like exploring even even just exploring in a conversation the not, possibility yeah yeah and maybe it actually it leads you to something else maybe it leads you to like oh but that was maybe that just was a sexual fantasy that i have yeah. And maybe we should explore exactly. that as a couple. Instead, maybe we should start there instead. Yeah. yeah. That's what I'm like. Exactly. And, yeah. and and it's just also, you know, monogamy doesn't need to be the default setting. So mm-hmm. I think if oftentimes when two people meet and they start dating one another, we just assume that everyone's operating under the idea that eventually we're going to be monogamous with one another. But I encourage people, this is a first date question. Asking people, what are your views on monogamy is a first date question because you might be surprised at what the other person says and you want to make sure you're on the same page. Yeah. Because oftentimes, like me, what happened in my marriage was, you know, at the end I said, I'm not, I'm just not wired for this. I'm not wired for conventional relationship structure. And so a lot of couples will get together both assuming that they want monogamy and then a while in, you know, one person will say, I just, I don't think I'm wired for this. So, so it's having those conversations earlier on so that you can figure out if you're actually compatible in a long-term relationship together. Yeah. And if that relationship is going to flourish and grow and develop. Or not. Or not. Or not. (laughs) Or not. No, I love the conversation. I love the story. I love the explanation to it. It's so nice to just like sit back and listen. Yeah, and I also love the aspect of, as you said, that your private, like your yourselves in the res- in the relationship, that it's really important for you to have the freedom, the freedom to have your own and respect that, that life that you both wanted. Exactly, and it's kind of like this love yourself first thing. I would say for me, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it wasn't until I fell in love with myself and I was totally happy being alone yeah. that um, that I was able to then you fell be down in, from the in sky. the relationship. Yeah, Into then, your then, lap. You, exactly. then you fell down. In the mountains. In a bar. <laughs> in a bar. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I, I want to circle back because you were saying, you know, we're not having these conversations, but also we're, we don't have a lot of good role models yeah. No, we don't. That that that's we can turn to so um, a lot. A lot of the media that's portrayed about open relationships and polyamory tends to be the horror stories, the bad things. Mm-hmm. So who is there to to say, "Hey, I'm a regular person functioning in society, and this this works for me"? There aren't many, and that's why I speak about it often because um, it's hard to find just regular people out there who are doing this um, and not having it explode in their face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
think a lot of people get shocked. They're like, what? No, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> we should definitely... I'm not prepared. <laughs> we should definitely share more of these stories. Definitely. Mm. Maybe you should write it in the comments yeah. section on the website yes. after you've listened to this episode. Maybe we'll get some stories out. Mm. Of course, it's anonymous, so nobody will know who it is. I will do a little Q&A on, on social. Yeah, I think it would be very interesting. Yeah, to, to, listen to get some to, stories in. To get some stories from in. our members, from yeah. our followers. Yeah, hmm? and get our, getting our intimacy expert behind all of this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Let's normalize yes. these conversations. Let's start Let's here. Let's normalize it. That's I'm Ali. not gonna say it. That, <laughs> that's she. <laughs> Malouche's favorite sentence in the world. <laughs> Normalize the conversation. Oh <laughs> so she's just laughing I, at me every time I say it, and she's like, "No, you have this tone." I'm like, "I don't have a tone," and she's like, "Yes, you, you have do." This voice when you say it, you do. It's just it's I every, pro- I probably do <laughs> every I probably time. Do. But the what I'm actually the saying, essence, the essence of is what importante. I'm saying. Yes, it's very important. Reina, so lovely to have you. My heart is full. Love this. Yeah, love this. I mean, the story is, I mean, it's like, it's so much pain, but then there's so much love. Yeah, it's so like you're, heart-wrenching, but yeah. then like your heart floods up when you hear all, all the other stuff that happened. Like going, well, as we were talking with our other coach, Taryn. Yeah. From darkness to, to light. light. Exactly. Boom. Yeah, it's taking something... Um, Ugly and making it beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And that it is possible. Sometimes it just takes some time and it some takes work. some work on yourself. Yeah. So I think that yeah. you never lose hope. No. Never lose hope. I love that. That was really nice, Maya. Poetic. <laughs> <laughs> We're on a roll. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, such a beautiful ending to this beautiful conversation. I'm so happy that you had the time to get on the Made Hot on Mike podcast today. Yeah, and join us. Yeah. Yeah. We are very thankful. And Thank we you are for having me. Very happy. And we are so happy that you're with us on the platform. And then we're going to create a lot of magic together with you. Oh, we have some stuff that we're... We have some stuff brewing. Producing. We will not tell it now, but no. we will tell you later. No, we just have to get on the membership portal. Yeah. 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 To get a slice of Reina. Yeah, to get a slice of everybody. And yeah. everyone else. Some of that made hot magic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so thank you everyone for listening. We hope you have a beautiful day or evening or night, wherever you are in the world. Yeah. Stay safe. Yes. Love yeah. yourself first. Yeah. And spread some love. You always feel better when you do that. Thank you. Thank you, Rina. You're welcome. You made it to the end of this episode. We salute you and thank you. Tune in every fortnight for a new episode and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out of any of the goodies. Our listeners' experience is why we do this. Therefore, we encourage honest reviews, engagement and feedback. Follow us on social media on madehot underscore. With love, Maya and Malou.